Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. What began as a hunt for sophisticated clean fragrances at the start of the clean beauty era became a labor of love that grew into Ellis Brooklyn. I can't wait to hear more about the chic fragrance and body care line and the woman behind it all, B. Shapiro. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Founded Beauty, a podcast dedicated to beauty entrepreneurs who built some of the biggest brands today and where we learn exactly how they did it. We'll cover some of the most intimate stories, their path to success and how they overcame the obstacles along the way. I'm Akash Mehta, CEO and co-founder of Fable and Maine a modern hair wellness brand inspired by ancient Indian beauty secrets. Building Fable in Maine has been an incredible journey so far, and I decided to launch this podcast as a founder keen to learn and connect with fellow beauty brand founders around the world. I believe in collaboration over competition, and so I'm using this platform as a way to hopefully help and inspire each other in what can be quite a tough and lonely journey. So if you are an entrepreneur or simply just curious how to build a brand, this podcast is perfect for you. So without further ado, it's a delight to introduce our guest for today, B. Shapiro. Founded by the New York Times beauty columnist and chic mom, B. Shapiro, Ellis Brooklyn is a pioneer in the fragrance world. Prioritizing non-toxic ingredients, sustainable sourcing, and a clear brand ethos, B. has created a truly unique brand that is instantly recognizable for its multi-layered sensory aromas. This was an entirely new concept when Ellis Brooklyn first launched, and today it seems like a no-brainer, with the most popular industry newcomers consciously ensuring cruelty-free, clean formulations. It's no mean feat balancing such influential business with motherhood and journalism, yet somehow B. Shapiro manages to do it all. B, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. Oh my goodness, what an intro. I, I totally resonate with what you said about this journey can sometimes be lonely and to have other founder friends that you can, you know, connect with, whether it's a call or a DM or some some of the founders I text with, it's just so nice. And so I know we are even an ocean apart and it's still, I'm sure we have so much in common and, and to chat about. Exactly. I think always, I always say this podcast is the beginning of a beautiful friendship and journey together. So um, I can't wait to continue our conversations offline. But for now, there's so much to go into. And I always start with the first most important question is in a nutshell, V, could you just tell the audience who is B. Shapiro? Oh my gosh, a nutshell. Can we, can a any nutshell. of us, <laughs> can any of us actually fit in a nutshell? So, so, no. you know, you know what I am? And I, and I think if I was just to, to self-describe myself and I'm 40 years old now. And so I feel like it's taken me a long time to figure myself out is that I keep going at it. And, and I say that because you know, I've been at the New York Times long enough now, and I've been running Ellis Brooklyn for the last six years. And it's not always the most talented person that succeeds in life. It's that person who is willing to improve, stay open-minded, and just keep at it. I mean, of course, I have days where I'm just like, oh my gosh, I want to curl up on a couch in a fetal position. But yeah. you, you can't win every single day, right? <laughs> um, it's not. just, it's just how do you rebound? And I think that I've, I've, I'm old enough to reflect back and I'm like, wow, you know, I, I'm a fighter. I'm like, I go out there, I do my best and I keep, I stay open-minded. So I guess that would be me. Love that. And I think also what you've done and accomplished so far, it shows that you've got so much experience, but also 
a lot of wisdom to part with us. So, you know, I do want to really go into that journey, but I think it's only fair to start the beginning and kind of uh, how B came to be, uh, pun intended. Um, so I know you were born in Taiwan and you grew up outside of Seattle. So can you talk us a bit about your early childhood memories of that? Sure. So, you know, I, in some ways I was a classic immigrant family in the U.S. In some ways I was not. So I say that because, you know, I, I don't remember much from Taiwan. I immigrated when I was three and a half, four. Yet you're raised with those same cultural values that are so interesting and unique in an immigrant family. They're, it's just different, you know, when especially back then, we didn't have social media. You know, if you think about like my parents, when they moved here, oh my gosh, they had to figure out how to read maps in a different language. I, I remember listening to English language tapes and every single character on there was like a color. So like Mr. Brown went to the grocery store, Mrs. Red, you know, picked up the kids. Like that's how they learned English. And so, and so on the one hand, that's very much an immigrant story in the U.S., but I will say that when I was growing up, my parents did not do well. We were not that immigrant success story where, you know, they moved here and suddenly they did so well. They didn't. They continued sort of on the same path of working crazy hours, never really totally um, getting out of where they started from. And and for me, that that really reflected on my daydreams, on my future dreams, on, I guess, my goals and ambitions. Uh, so I dreamed really big, but yeah, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I think sometimes, and maybe I'm overgeneralizing, when you have a lot of pressure to get out and, and want to get out of where you are, you just like, any way I can do it, I'll do it, you know? And, uh, and so for me, I didn't know. I, I had great grades. Uh, I, I never had an internship. I worked every single summer. I had to get paid. And and I didn't have, in a way, I like to say, the luxury of figuring myself out back then because I was just so keen on, on getting out of where I grew up and, and how I grew up, you know? And yeah. And uh, it's just it's it's just interesting because sometimes I think the immigrant story gets glossed over. 100%. And I think it's really important to normalize the fact that we don't need to especially growing up especially any stage of our life really have it all figured out because we're all you know on this journey of kind of understanding ourselves we're all constantly evolving and changing and not only us things around us look at the pandemic for example right so i think it's important to just try things be you know be curious but you don't need to have it figured out from any really i mean it's nice of course um, yeah. It makes things a lot easier, <laughs> as you can imagine. But I, I do understand, especially with the, you know, the pressure as well that comes to sort of, um, you know, we're very fortunate enough, um, you know, with our parents and um, especially my parents too. And they em you know, emigrated into London and it's just, um, I, I kind of resonate with that. But I know also with you, you kind of did start, you know, your initial kind of education in art and finance. Uh, and then you went into law, but what got you into art and finance initially? Oh gosh, that was probably the exact reflection in my thoughts uh, of how do I get <laughs> out of this, you know? And I say that, and I don't want to over pity myself at all. It's just, you know, being really honest, I, I didn't, I had very little money growing up. And so I, I was like, I need to make money. And I literally Googled, how do you make the most money upon graduation? And it was finance. And so that's why I had my finance major. But the truth is, you know, now that I'm much further down in my journey, I probably had an inkling back then. And so I had a minor in art and I, and it was such a, it was such a enjoyable time for me to go to these creative classes. And I don't think I was brave enough to fully go there at that time, mm. at that point in time. The funny part is I couldn't even like, I couldn't even land a finance internship. <laughs> so, uh, so at the end of the day, it's funny because I chose this because I was being really rational and reasonable, but, and, you know, I think life has its own plans for you. And I think also if you don't have passion for something, it really shows, uh, I thought I could fake it, you know? I did the exact same thing with engineering. So I completely know. And I think uh, it's funny how we still sometimes feel like we're going to go down that path before we start, yet we still start it. And then we, you know, a year later, two years, you're like, okay, I knew that would happen and it happened, but we still go on that journey. Um, but I think it's important to eventually make that decision to, you know, decide to do what makes you happy. And also, what you know, you have to try it first though, to really, sh I guess, for sure, know. 
Um, but then you en- ended up going to law school. And how did that happen? So the law school was really an extension of I didn't know what to do. So uh, <laughs> the, the finance degree, you know, I completed it. I had good grades. Again, I couldn't get an internship to save my life. And again, this is partly my fault because I, I just every summer I had to make money. So I worked, you know, yeah. as a waitress. I worked at a clothing store. So I, I felt like I couldn't take these unpaid internships either. So part of it's my fault. However, you know, all my friends got jobs and suddenly it was my senior year and I was like, oh, I have nothing lined up. What am I supposed to do? So I was like, maybe grad school. Grad school sounds like a good idea. At least if I say, tell people I'm going to grad school, I have a purpose in life, you know? Mm. And so I went to Barnes and Nobles, <laughs> my local Barnes and Nobles. Uh, and I, I looked at all the test preparation uh, books that they had. And I realized with the GMAT that I probably needed to do some real formal training on math and specific, you know, testing on that. And then I looked at the LSAT book and, uh, and I was like, you know what, I probably could do this on my own. So I did not enroll for any test prep class. I bought one book of test LSATs. I, I, uh, did test it. I practiced, you know, for, I don't know how many practice tests I took. I took some practice tests. I went in the LSAT, uh, long story short, I went to Georgetown law and I graduated. Um, I know it's totally ridiculous. And, and then I, um, and then I worked in a hedge, a big hedge fund law firm in New York for about seven or eight months. And that's, that's when I hit the wall. I was like, you know, <laughs> if I'm going to be working from like, my day started later because I had some inter- uh, I had some clients in the West Coast, et cetera. So if I was working from 10 to 10 every day, then, oh my gosh, there must be more to life. That's really what I thought. I, I hit a wall. I did not quit with some grand plan in mind. I just was like, this cannot be life. And yeah. and that's when I started my journey. So it took me a long time. I think I was 25 when that realization finally hit. I know. I mean, nowadays you have people on TikTok and Instagram who know what they want to do. You know, <laughs> I was 15. Um, yeah, I was 25. So but you know what what's amazing is well when i was especially when i was researching um before this podcast i was like oh my god like there's so many experiences i don't know where to start and you know you say it's you know you try you didn't figure it out but it's still so invaluable because there is so much okay forget the actual nitty-gritty of the of the the actual work and then the studies but the transferable skills you gain from all these experiences right uh what were some of like the highlights or would you say the highlighted transferable skills that you think have carried with you today from finance, from um, law, you know, from all those areas? Sure. So the finance part is interesting because I think it's really come into play further down in my life. I'm not saying finance comes to me naturally at all. It was really a force fit, I realized, with finance. You know, I can do it. It does not, Excel sheets bring me no joy. So. (laughs) I mean, does it really bring, well, actually my CFO would say the opposite. I think he really loves Excels. (laughs) Exactly. My CFO loves Excels. My VP of sales love excels and i think it's actually wonderful to see you're like oh wow that that that's what they were meant to be doing (laughs) um yeah so i i definitely force fed that finance degree and then you know with law i realized that i actually do love the written word i do love structure it definitely taught me hard work my goodness i don't think i mean lawyers just work so extremely hard and so it definitely taught me discipline And that, I would say, has helped me a lot, Uh, whether it was my move to writing or whether it was to um, to starting Alice Brooklyn. That discipline does not go away. It's, you know, drilled in you and and just keeps on carrying on, which is great. And, and, you know, speaking actually of the move to to writing and journalism. So, again, another kind of 360, if you will, but. I guess now it's it's been one of the biggest parts of your of your life today, working with the New York Times. How did that start, and how did you get into it? Oh gosh, you know, I, I think I said in the beginning, like I may not be the most talented, but you know, I'll go and do it, right? So uh, I when that. I quit the law firm, I had no grand plan. I do not suggest people do this, by the way. If I redid it, I would have been more planned out. So I did not have a grand plan, but I also thought, wow, how many times in life can you do this, and I can't mess up, right? I still had that idea in my head: you can't mess up. So, uh, so I made a list. I made a list of three possible things that if I was telling somebody in secret and didn't hold anything back, you know, what I would be interested or always dreamed of doing. So 
I've always loved fashion. The reason why I knew Barnes and Noble so well is because I always used to go there and look at the foreign magazines. So like the foreign officiels and the W's back in the day and, and all of that. So, uh, so I always have loved fashion. And so one of my things was I would love to be a fashion writer. And then another one of my things is I always wanted to be a painter. So that was, you know, that was probably more obvious. And then, and then the third one, third one that people laugh about when I tell them and I laugh at my own self is I was like, oh, it'd be great to be an actress. And, <laughs> and this is, I know when I feel like when young people who are so planned out, like listen to my story, they're like, oh my God, she was a hot mess. And that is true. And that's okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yes. And so what I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be a New York pity story. I've seen it so many times when somebody comes to New York, they're young, they're ambitious, but then they get lost. I think New York can be very distracting. So, so I said, all right, if I'm going to, if I'm going to quit my job, and I'm going to pursue these three things I've always wanted to do, uh, then I am going to just, I'm going to throw myself into the lion's den. And so I worked for an art collector. I painted at home. I uh, I was in a couple of group shows, but kind of went nowhere. Like uh, pretty soon I was like, okay, I love art, but more like almost like a, as like an admirer. And I couldn't, mm. I couldn't get my vision in my head onto that canvas. And I realized that was when I was like, oh, wow, I'm not good enough. And I did not enjoy that. I did not enjoy that I couldn't put my vision exactly the way I wanted. And then uh, this was all over the course of like one to two years, by the way. This was not fast. Yeah, not sure. yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then the acting thing is hilarious because I I was like, well, I got to go on auditions. And so back then it was all about this publication called Backpage. And I went to Backpage and you had to buy it. It was very expensive. And you looked at where all the you know open calls and stuff were because I had no SAG card. I was not part of any actor membership. I had no experience. Yeah, no agent or no oh yeah i took my own headshot printed <laughs> it out did not know it was supposed to be the size of a full sheet of paper i was thinking my who would ever need a picture that big of someone so my headshot was tiny. <laughs> <laughs> i love it it was a horrible so I, so you would think I auditioned for small stuff? No, I auditioned for Broadway. I auditioned for uh, Joe's Pub, which is a famous uh, mm-hmm. theater in New York. That's actually where Hamilton started. Actually, it was Joe's Pub. I interviewed for sake. I not interviewed. I auditioned for Shakespeare in the Park. It was oh, miserable. Man. I was horrible. <laughs> I, it was mortifying. It was mortifying. To this day, you know, I've interviewed a lot of celebrities for the New York Times now. I always have have thought about that experience since. I always, you know, a lot of times I feel like sometimes, especially in reporting, sometimes we can look down on young actors who are sort of, you know, not that great or whatever. Mm -hmm. Because I went through this experience, I never think that because... I've been on auditions where it's like a panel of people and you do a comedic monologue and no one laughs. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, that's what I did. And uh, <laughs> it was, it was hilarious and horrible. And I realized I was not cut, cut out for it at all. And then the third part was the writing and the writing, you know, I started writing for little fashion blogs. This was, you know, the decade of the blogs. And and I started yeah. writing for style.com a couple pieces and AOL back in that back then AOL is more of a big deal. And uh yeah. And I realized when I printed something, even if the story only paid me $25, I would reread that story I wrote over and over again. And uh and I found deep satisfaction from perfecting it. And I think that's something to think about when you're looking for something you love to do. It's not always your immediate love, right? Because my immediate love is actually fashion, but I maybe I wasn't really cut out to be like a fashion designer, if that makes any sense. I loved to write. And and that also circled back to why I went to law school, right? And then, mm-hmm. and if I really look back at my life, I love reading. Like I love yeah. just anything to do with the written word. And so and so yeah. So that's, that's a very long answer. No, that's actually a perfect answer. And also, I think what it sums up so perfectly is the fact that I really admire that you've, you had like a, a vision or a potential dream and you've actually pursued them. And, you know, whether you decide for yourself if that's a path you're going to pursue further or not, at least you tried. And I think there's so much importance in that within anyone listening, because if you don't try, you will never know. And 
yes to yourself, you might laugh at it and be like, oh, you know what, what did I do? How can I have done, how could I have done that? But thank God you did, because you wouldn't be where you are today if you didn't try those things. And you don't want to live with regret, right? Of what if, you know, I, I'm the same. I used to, I wanted to be a singer and I was like applying for voice and, you know, similar to you. And, you know, I was like, what am I doing? Like, why am I, like, I had to turn down auditions. I was like, I'm not like, this is not my path. Like I was working in Estee Lauder at the time thinking, how can I work for a business in a company and then be doing touring? Like it, I could, but you know, I tried it, but um, I think I do want to normalize as well for people. Like it's okay to have multiple dreams that are completely like not in silo, like very just different. Um, and that's also very important, but going back to uh, the wait, writing. Wait, wait. I love how you <laughs> skipped over the fact that you're an amazing singer. Um, you know, no. the next up for a brand summit, I'm going to, I'm going to have you, you know, karaoke mm. style. Uh, like, we should you, do, know, I, you know what? If it's karaoke, I've got my karaoke song. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> that'd I be actually it. really fun. If we can get the brand merchant involved too, that'd be really fun. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so no, going to the writing, which I think is, I think I actually now see this kind of spider diagram of everything you've done does connect to the written form of, you know, writing and words, um, especially with, you know, acting as well. It's, you know, even the script, et cetera. Um, but then you move from uh, fashion into beauty, which now you are currently um, in, in many different ways. Uh, how did you move in the New York Times to beauty? So that I would like to say is a happy accident or happy stroke of luck. So I, I was obsessed with fashion, always have been since I was little. And uh, and so I started covering fashion. I would cover fashion weeks. You know, I really, it was really grinding. I was really getting through everything and building that resume. It was tough. You know, it's a lot of little things rolling that snowball, getting a reputation, getting a byline, all that stuff. And then I ended up at the New York Times in the paper side because I was writing for the magazine and the editor loved and it just was a lot of timing, but also a lot of hard work. So so I was there at the New York Times. I think I was like the dead last youngest fashion writer in that in the publication. And this was, if you guys know fashion at all or anyone listening, this was the era of like the top fashion critics. So Kathy Horan, who I still think is one of the top fashion critics ever, it was there. Eric Wilson was there. It was just really hard, I would say, for me as a new writer, and frankly, not as sophisticated in my writing style yet to make a name for myself. And so so this was sort of the backdrop to everything. And then the beauty uh, columnist left. She left for her dream job in the travel section. And so this column opened up. And I, again, I was the dead last fashion reporter. And uh, the editor-in-chief asked me of the section, asked me uh, if I wanted to take this column. So I said, yes, of course, you know. And, and I remember not knowing barely anything about beauty. It was really a learn-on-the-job sort of process. But, you know, looking back, I'm actually so happy that I, I moved to beauty and what luck I did. Because as I've gotten older, as my life has changed, as I've had kids and all that, I care about beauty so much more. And uh, I have grown with beauty. Whereas with fashion, I still love fashion. I still love design. But I'm just, you know, it's so different than when you're 25 and have no responsibilities uh, versus, you know, today I have to think about, okay, do I do this? Or what about my kid stuff? And like, you know, I'm balancing a lot more different things. Whereas beauty, oh, it's so soul healing and positive all the time. And, and so, so it was, it was by, it was by luck. Yeah. And I actually completely, I mean, similar, like I actually always loved fashion more than beauty initially. Uh, I worked, my first job was in Burberry and then my dad, we've, we've got a brand Patu and we've just been investing a lot in fashion. And then um, I just fell in love with beauty once I got into it. And I thought, actually it's funny how that transition from fashion to beauty once you make that move it's 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 similar but it's still so different um mainly also with the industry veterans and people and you know working in both environments i felt a bit more at home and a bit more inclusive within the beauty industry initially um so i think that's where i found my home and now i i, I don't ever want to leave it's so i just love beauty so i completely understand what you're saying because um there is something so special about the industry. Um, but I know you um, did a kind of an incredible move because you you were working as a beauty columnist and you, you still are with, you know, talking to an amazing different, I'm sure, founders and entrepreneurs and celebrities. But then you've also created a brand, which is 
pretty incredible. I'm pretty sure, are you probably the only, I don't know, but are you one of the only people working with the New York Times that's actually created a brand as well? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's interesting. So uh, I think actually a lot of people have created brands in New York Times, but not necessarily in product. And so I, I remember this interview so well. I'm not close to him at all, but it's funny how somebody can affect your life. So I was super pregnant at the time and I, you know, having this law and hedge fund background and I was writing beauty for the New York Times, but it was sort of, I felt like I needed to make my name, you know, stronger than New York Times. I don't know what I thought. I think when you're pregnant and you're like, oh my gosh, I need to somehow like build more stability for myself. I don't know. I felt like I needed to transform myself. And so uh, I interviewed for a reporter position in Biz Day or Business Day at the New York Times, and I went through four or five different interviews. It was a it was a long interview process, and one of my final interviews was with Aaron Ross Sorkin, who uh, I don't know if you guys know him, but he created Deal Book for the New York Times. He's on MSNBC. He's had a gazillion books. He co-produces shows, you know, and uh, he he looked at my resume and he's like where's your business card? He go, I, and I was like, well, the New York Times never gave me a business card. He's like, well, why don't you just go make your own? And I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, go get the logo, go to the printer across the street and put your name on it and put your name that you're the beauty columnist, which is true, right? Um, yeah. and, and just make your own card. And I was like, I, that blew my mind. Because, I mean, yeah. you know, this is Aaron Ross Sorkin. And I was like, and I was like, what? And he goes, yeah. He goes, that's what I did when when I first started. <laughs> I love it. And I was dying laughing. And he goes, you know how you build your name at the New York Times? He goes, you take the work that you've done for them. You take your good reputation. You keep that good reputation. And he goes, and then and then you go out in the world to do whatever it is you want to do. Some people write books. Some people, you know, he started all these shows, et cetera, and, and he has his books and the MSNBC thing. And I was like, oh, my God, that's brilliant. And the truth is, as much as I had that hedge fund experience, it was no longer my forte. So I was mm. like, well, why am I applying for this biz day job? You know, like, why am I doing that? And I really started to look at, you know, my career and think, okay, what can I bring to the table? What can I do? What have I always wanted to do? So it was like another moment in my life where I was like, where, what have I always wanted to do? And and I think the idea of starting a brand really came along later for me. You know, I had been covering beauty, I think, for like six years at that point, maybe five years, um, but a, a significant amount of time. And, and so I wanted to try it. And I, and I felt like I had something to say in fragrance. And that was somewhere that I felt compelled to say something and so and so that's that's how kind of how it started oh my god that's incredible i love how you know it could be a a moment where you present yourself to someone or with someone it could be a mentor it could be um, i don't know maybe a colleague but those moments can really pivot your life and just absolutely change it to another direction so you decided you know to create a brand and i would love to know um, the inspiration behind the name first, and then just how you started. Sure. So by the time I pivoted and was like, no more of this, you know, business day reporting and, and yeah. you know, exploring the brand building, I was pregnant and, and I knew she was going to be a girl and I knew we were going to name her Ellis. And so I was living in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, pregnant and figuring all this stuff out. And I was like, you know what? Let's just keep it really simple and very direct. You know, I already have so much else going on. So, so that was really, it was Ellis Brooklyn. Ellis Brooklyn. I now, I love it. I have another daughter, Sky. Now it's horrible because uh, now Ellis can read. And so Sky's like, where's my brand? You know? <laughs> well, if it makes you, if it makes you feel any better, my dad, his kind of big company he named it after his brother's son because he was the first born and I wasn't born there so I was like his company's named after my cousin not even me so (laughs) (laughs) so that's like you know another thing but yeah (laughs) (laughs) but so Ellis Brooklyn was born and um did you kind of um have in mind like for example like a specific scent where you're always passionate about fragrance do you have scents in mind love to know your history and sense. I did have sense in mind. So, I mean, I bootstrapped the company, so I did not la- launch with like a huge collection of Oda Parfums or anything like that. So I launched with two body milks that were fragranced, which is very unusual. 
<laughs> and uh, and I did it because at that point in time, I was wearing fragrance that way. You know, I was working in the New York Times. I didn't want fragrance to disperse everywhere. And so uh, I had two scents in mind. One, I wanted to create a fig type scent because I've always wanted to perfect that scent. And then two, I wanted to create a citrus scent that was unisex. And so it actually, the two initial scents, I would say, although it was not Eau de Parfum, was a pseudonym, which is the fig scent, and then the verb, which is the citrus unisex scent. I actually hate the word unisex. I prefer genderless, but at that point in time, you yeah. couldn't even communicate that. So, yeah, uh, yeah, it's funny how how uh, language has changed so much because I definitely think that. Um, when we started, it was so hard to get anything done. And now it's like people are like, oh, yes, of course. And I was like, wow, this is so nice. It's a nice change. Uh, so so that was the initial. And then we launched our Eau de Parfum collection almost a year later with Sephora.com. So uh, first year was definitely not much. Yeah, but, but it's amazing how you've developed it today into, honestly, I would say like a, a cult brand. And I actually... Do that uh, again. No, no pun intended. But I first discovered your fragrances by Cult Beauty. I bought the Chronicle travel set, I think. And then I bought an, um, some other ones. And I have them in my bag and I take them with me because I, I just want to try different ones. I was specifically very interested in the Fable one because Fable and me. So it was, uh, I love the scents a lot. So just want to say, firstly, before we say anything, they're beautiful. You've done a great job. Uh, so you should be very proud. Um, but uh, did you, you kind of, um, no, of course, um, thank you. Uh, but did you know um, kind of that your vision was initially to go down like a retail model? Because Sephora is like, you know, as we're both Sephora brands, it's really the dream retailer. And I would love to know how you even got into Sephora and that journey. Sure. So, you know, when I first launched, I actually thought we would be more D2C. And so because I self-funded, though, I quickly realized, oh, my gosh, getting awareness on B2C is very capital intensive. And then at the same time, we were starting to talk to retailers. I, I To be totally honest with you, I understood content. I understood product development. I understood set development. I did not understand marketing. So marketing for me has been learned. And uh, in the first year, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I was like, well, we got tons of press. I knew press and, and it was I thought that was enough. And and to figure out that I needed these massive budgets just to get any uh, brand awareness. I was like, wow, this is not efficient if you're not VC juiced with VC capital. And so uh, so I was like, well, you know, there's nothing wrong, I think, being multi-channel. You know, I, I think sometimes limiting yourself to one thing, I guess, is fine in principle. But I think you also have to look at it from a business standpoint, especially if your self-funding, right, in, in, in the early days and, and to see, okay, where can I get the most bang for my, my buck and where can I learn? And so yeah. I was very lucky. Um, I loved what you said earlier about how you're saying that I think the beauty world can only grow and that we can and we can be helpful to each other. And, yeah. and it's a beautiful industry because my, the way I got introduced to Sephora is by Laura Slatkin of Nest. Hmm. I was at a dinner for Laura Slatkin on the behalf of the New York Times, and we were chit-chatting. She's like, what are you doing? I was like, well, you know what? I'm actually building this fragrance line. And she's like, well, you need to talk to Sephora then. She didn't have to do that. And then yeah. she did not flake. She did not. She did it. And she introduced yeah. me to my buyer, and and I will always be grateful for her. And she's a class act, frankly. Uh, and. Yeah. It's just so interesting. It's such a welcoming uh, thing to do. Hey, everyone. It's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. 
Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Yeah. Really? And I really love especially how people but especially when they suggest it it shows a general intent to to help you and not just and, and no no expectation of anything back i mean i think a philosophy my, my mom always told me is never expect just give from your heart because the expectation you're putting on them and it's not fair how can you expect something that you can't you know they didn't you didn't they didn't ask to be you know to 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 give back in any way so i think if everyone lives in that way of if you're going to give to anyone you do it from your own heart and good and you don't expect anything back and i think that's the best philosophy to live by um, because you will end up getting inspired and you'll end up cave you know putting the path forward for others and i think that moment i'm sure that she did that for you you probably have felt more in love with the beauty industry because it was so refreshing to see and you've worked in many other industries which perhaps might not have that much of that camaraderie having said that of course let's be honest i mean it's not perfect there are some beauty brand founders and some people you know it's normal but i think surrounding yourself with the right people is so important so you know you landed the the sephora the deal and i think what people also need to know is is it's not easy to go into sephora it's it's for sure it's i would arguably say i can say one of my favorite retailers in the world if not my favorite retailer but um uh, and business is phenomenal with them but they are really a feat and they are an influencer in themselves but they're you know it can be very demanding with sampling and this and that and you know did you find at the beginning were you like uh, initially self-funded and was it something that you had to go slow and steady because that's very different from the DTC route? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, I knew Sephora was going to be challenging. I knew enough from hearing word. I did not totally realize how challenging because I didn't understand marketing then. And I yeah. felt like I had to say yes, 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 you know, and because I didn't know anything and I, I didn't have a VP of sales and I didn't have my, okay, my budget needs to be carved out for, you know, 20% of sales or whatever it was. Um, but I will say this about Sephora. So they are my favorite retailer in the world. And I see that because when I talk to my buyers and I tell them straight to their face too, like I, I'm super open with them. They are me. They're like beauty editors. They, they will tell you the truth. But it is not meant to cut you down. I, I yeah. always take their feedback, you know, with with thinking and with respect because you know what? I don't know any other retailer that does that. And I like to think of them almost like free consultants, you know? Mm-hmm. And they are. instead They're amazing yes. advice. Amazing advice. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you an example. So we recently launched a scent called Super. I have two exam- really good examples. Ooh. So we recently launched a scent called Super Amber. I actually have it here. And then we launched a Amazing. scent called B Eau de Parfum, which I don't have here. Yes. Uh, but the Super Amber, you'll see this like really gorgeous sort of uh, bottle here. Um, it's stunning. It's like terracotta. It's like a uh, bronzy, yeah, yeah bronzy color. It's beautiful. The original color that I presented to them was like a dove gray. <laughs> and and, uh, and uh, they're like, this, this, didn't, and then scent smells very warm too, very fall. And so they're mm-hmm. like, well, this color is really pretty. I was in love with this dove gray. My creative director was in love with this dove gray. And then Sephora team was like, uh, this does not match your scent. You know, and at this point, we're so far down the line. I was like, oh, my God, I have to change the scent color. This is, ah. I was like very thrown off again. But I always, you know, take a step back and I was like, OK, let me think about this. Right. 
Long story short, we ended up with this beautiful bronze color that is exactly fall. But can you imagine if just left to my own devices, I launched it in dove gray? Like it wouldn't have made any sense. <laughs> no, especially with the name Super Amber. Like actually, I know. They're spot on. They're spot on. <laughs> uh, the other one that's hilarious is the bee eau de parfum is this like marigold honey color because the scent yeah. is honey based. So the scent is like honey, dark rum, boozy, gourmandy. And so the original scent, because it's about a, it's about a journey to self-love and that fragrance has always been about that. But, uh, but the initial uh, conception of it, it was called Solo. And uh, and it was a lavender gray. I apparently really like gray. Uh, and and they're like, well, you know, we love the scent, but the name and the color does not have anything to do with the fragrance. Um, yeah. So so I look. I know. I think some brand founders. I get it. I, I sometimes react like, oh, but I love that color, you know. But but yeah. I think if you take a step back and listen to that feedback. Oh my God, game changing. So so I have a great relationship with them. They're honestly, they're, they are incredible. And, and I think what's really important is to leverage the fact that most retailers won't be like an extension of your team. They will literally just be like, what's the margin? What's the buy? Okay, here's the forecast. Let's go. Let's roll with it, right? So to have that kind of partner is 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 worth, um, of course, I mean, I'm sure many founders would be like, yeah, of course it's worth it. I'm dying to get into Sephora. So, um, but there, you know, as you said, it is possible as long as, you know, we got into Sephora via LinkedIn message to a junior hair merchant, you know, that's what we did. We said, look, we've got this little brand deck, no samples. We're coming to San Francisco. Any chance we can just see you for a coffee. And that's how it happened. So there you go. Like, you know, you can really get in through any way. And, you know, one thing I must say to add to that is I was working at Dior at the time and the CEO was a very good friend of mine and he knew the CEO of Sephora at the time. And and there was an opportunity to say, look, I could just get connected this way. But I said, no, 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 I want to do I want to first see if this is even worth it. I don't want to waste anyone's time. Um, and let's just LinkedIn message. But at the same time, I also want it to be, I know that the heroes are the merchants, you know, it's them. I want them to champion our brand. And I think if they feel that they found it, they feel that they're close to us, that's the best way to build a brand. So yeah, the little advice to everyone is there's always a way. Ask people and even just try it. Loads of avenues, emailing. I completely agree. I think sometimes people get really uh, intent on finding the buyer that's like the boss, right? The boss is the boss. But a lot of times the boss, the boss is managing down, which is exactly how it should be, right? And and so they're not as close to the products and to the brands. And and I completely agree with you. So my initial buyer, you know, she was great, but she was she was not necessarily super senior, you know? Yeah. Exactly. And as, as your brand grows, you'll start having more people in the room, more people interested, and that's normal. And that's also, I guess, like an incentive to perform and listen. Um, but yeah, no, as you, as you said, we love Sephora. We stand for Sephora. They're, they're, they're amazing. Um, but before I go into some kind of more just kind of personal side of, of B. Shapiro, I do want to just quickly ask, because I'm dying to know, what is the inspiration behind the logo? Because it's one of the most beautiful logos. Oh, thank you. Okay. So me being the, the writerly person I am, when I was starting the line, I knew I wanted an icon. I just love icons. I don't know. I, I love the idea of and I, and the reason why I love scent, frankly, I love the idea of conveying an image, a feeling, a brand, or or anything really without saying a word. As much as I love words, I'm surrounded by writers, and uh, sometimes being succinct or being able to communicate something without words, like how beautiful is that? So I knew I wanted an icon. Uh, but the initial icon was actually a lion. So the mm -hmm. idea behind like making it as a writer, they start to call you a literary lion. And so it was a lion. We were working on it. And then I was like, wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. I don't want this. And the reason why is I went to this Pen American Gala, which is a super famous writers gala and I went with a couple of my friends who were young writers as well and we were so excited to go and then we sat at these tables and we saw who was being honored and everybody was like ancient and and frankly all all male so it was yeah. just a strange environment and I was like wait a second like if we're gonna we're gonna sort of iron home the idea of this literary line like let's check it up a little bit and so it's actually a literary leopard I like to say I know I love it uh yeah, so that that was the idea behind it. I mean, 
I think we also need to do something together because leopard, tiger, we're all supporting big cats now with cheetahs, leopards and tigers. So I think that's something we should do because that could be really fun. Maybe work on a little project together on that. Um, I would love that. I would love that. Stay tuned, guys. Maybe something will come. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so, you know, going a little bit now, uh, obviously recently there's the pandemic has been a big um, moment, uh, good, bad, interesting for businesses. Um, But uh, I'm curious to know both personally, you know, what has been some routines and rituals for success that has led you to power through Ellis Brooklyn and grow the brand during the pandemic, during lockdown? And how has business been like? Has it been thriving with D2C? Has fragrance, have you seen a shift in clean beauty? So I I think business has been really interesting for us. So I'm happy to say that we're doing really well. We have grown a tremendous amount, but I see that we've done that with a lot of effort. And the reason why is I'm sure you guys are going through this too. The market keeps changing and, and marketing keeps changing and just your usual ways of spending your budget or conceiving on how to reach people are, is different. And so I think the nice part about being a smaller brand is that you can pivot quickly. And so when the pandemic happened, we shut down our Brooklyn office. We shut down our Manhattan we had a Manhattan office from one of our investors. I did eventually take capital, but much later. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and so suddenly we're all working at home. And then I moved to Connecticut with my kids. And it was just like a really strange time. And I think one thing that was really nice that came out of all of that is, you know, when I stopped traveling so much for work, when I did, wasn't commuting, you know, to the city to, for all my meetings and stuff, suddenly I was like, wow, that gave me a lot more free time to like think. And, and how do we actually talk to the consumer? Everybody's going nowhere. And, uh, and so for us, we've always talked about how fragrance is a game changer for your mood, for expressing your own self. And so we just continued with that. You know, for me, fragrance is joy and, and individuality. So if I wake up that day and I feel like, I need, you know, I need a little burst of something, I'll put on, you know, our West Eau de Parfum, which is a citrus. And if I feel like I need to be cozy, then I'll put on our bee or, or something else that that's cozy smelling. So for me, it's a mood lifter. And I've always used fragrance like that. And then I think speaking about fragrance that way, instead of saying, oh, you should wear this because, you know, you're going on date night, which none of us were going on. Right. Uh, yeah. Then I think it's so antiquated. And, uh, and, and that was one of the reasons why when I started Ellis Brooklyn, I was like, the way fragrance is talked about is so antiquated. And, and yes. so I think that if we think about scent, I like to say, we think about scent just as exploring another one of our senses. Uh, that to me has been super important in the pandemic. And that's how we've been communicating a lot is that I think sometimes we get so embedded with our, with our sense of sight you know, yeah. think about our obsession with TikTok and Instagram and social media of all sorts. And is it bringing us more happiness? I don't know, you know, and there's something. And so I don't know if you guys know, but your sense of smell is so primal that it shoots straight to your frontal cortex, frontal lobe. And and you actually can't even put this like analytical filter on it. You either like a scent or you don't. And uh it's powerful, right? And so mm-hmm. the idea of stop and smell the roses, there's something about scent and happiness that happened in, during COVID too, as some people lost their sense of smell, got depressed, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. So the pandemic has been interesting because uh, I felt like I learned how to talk to the consumer by opening my own self and my own journey up a little more, uh, being a little more vulnerable, you know, and, and yeah. just understanding more like, People are concerned, you know, it's a scary time. I I mean, I think things are looking up now, but it's still, I don't know. I feel like, uh, so yesterday my my Ellis got tested positive for COVID and I was like, she has no symptoms, you know? So it's just, uh, it's a weird time. So, so so I'm very careful about marketing. You know, I want to say, I want to bring joy. I want people to be happy when they're wearing the scent. And I think one thing also you've done, which I think has really helped is, I don't know if this has been more with the birth of um, the pandemic and uh, you, you've gone a lot, you've done a lot of discovery sets and kind of home scents and stuff to make it very accessible for people at a very good price point, but they can try, they can see different moods. And I think that's also really important because that's a way of sampling, right? It's a way people can't go to stores. They can't 
try on the fragrance. So it's really important to bring it to an accessibility point of view to the end consumer um, and connect, as you said, with them via, whether it's social media, live streaming and taking that time, which is actually a blessing if we used it well. But now I think luckily, positive vibes now with getting a little bit back to normal stores are opening. Um, and I think we're hopefully getting back to a bit more of a, of a, I wouldn't say the same norm, but a new norm of, okay, things are getting hopefully brighter. Um, but have you, have you seen interestingly enough, a shift in your consumers, um, view of fragrance today? Mm. You know, that's a good question. I think the young, uh, the, the Gen Zers love fragrance. So we're on TikTok. Mm. We're very active on TikTok. I would say for a fragrance niche fragrance brand, uh, I love it. <laughs> and it's funny because sometimes I'll hear brand founders say, I don't get TikTok. I don't, you know, yeah. TikTok is fun. So, and, and, and it's you can powerful, you know, it's so it, powerful. It is. It's very powerful because you can storytell a little easier, I think. Yeah. And uh, there's something about it that you're like, oh, wow, it's like entertaining, but also fun. Yeah, you can tell, you know, real background stories about things. And so uh, we really started activating on TikTok, I would say, in the last year or so. And so uh, I don't know if it's necessarily I can actually put my finger like things are shifting. But I do think there's a young generation thinks about fragrance in a really cool way, which I like. They think about it as identity and individuality yes. and as expression, as opposed to, I think, uh, at least I was taught my generation was like, you need to smell am amazing and great and get compliments. You know, like, uh, I exactly. love a compliment, but like, sometimes I just want to smell cozy. Like, I don't need somebody to compliment me on that, you know? Couldn't agree more. No, I, and, that, and that's, I think that's where it's interesting to all see the new era of new consumers and younger consumers. And they're the ones we have to like really listen to. And they're constantly changing, constantly evolving. So you can never take your eye off. It's like, you know, a child that's growing, you're like, you think you know it, but in a year's time, they, they want different things and they want different needs and you have to facilitate to them because they're, they're the future. And I think in the beauty brands that succeed today are willing to navigate, you know, navigate the new kind of digital wavelength, but also adapt to the consumers in them because it's not about you, 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 my brand. It's about our brand as, as, as a consumer, as all your stakeholders mm. involved and your retailers, everyone. Um, but I, I do want to, you know, before we go into kind of fire round questions, just um, you, you know, you're moving now to Connecticut, correct? Um, uh, did you have new routines that you didn't get to have, for example, in New York that hasn't really just made you more enriched and, and, and more happier? Yes, actually. So one of the things I was talking to some other um, friends of mine, actually, that also moved from New York to Connecticut, a lot of people moved. So yeah. uh, I was talking to them, I was like, you know, one thing that's been really nice is the freeing up of the schedule. And so what I mean by that is before I would go into the office, I'd be there from X amount of time to X amount of time when I would go out for meetings, but always that was my work time, right? Now, you know, I might drop off my kids at school. I might go for a morning run. I might not. I might answer a ton of emails for the next two hours and then go for a morning run. You know, uh, my my structure has become a lot more forgiving. And mm. I don't even run that long. I run 30 minutes. But uh, at least I can get out there, you know. And I'm like, you know what? That's that's time I probably would have spent commuting. That's time I probably would have spent getting a coffee if I was in the city. And so I feel like the freeing up and not being so rigid with a schedule has been really nice. Definitely. No, and I think also it's it's hopefully a new norm for, I'm hoping, because a lot of my friends who are working in very much corporate environments, I'm hoping companies and big companies, it's hard because obviously the smaller the company, the easier. But for my company too, I ensure like I want that flexibility of like, you know, if at 11 a.m. you want to go for a run, it's okay. Because I know you're going to work in another hour. And I think that's enormous. I don't believe in this boxed approach of why is why are we trained to be nine to five? That's the only time you have to work. And because what, the, what at 11 a.m., if they're not feeling it, they're just going to be not productive. I'd rather it's go so out true. then, get fresh air, and come back and then work an hour later if they want, you know? And I think Same. that's really important Same. to encourage. So hopefully, what I'm hoping is a lot of, 
big you know, CEOs and executives in those companies that have now adapted to this new lifestyle being at home will hopefully instill this in their companies, um, big or small, because that's what their new norm would be. And hopefully they would want their team to be doing the same. But again, you have to, it's hard. The bigger the company, you know, I know there's all types of people. Some people like a routine. Some people just want to be an ex and see you later at 5.30. You know, it happens. So... But um, before we go into Fire Round, I asked uh, everyone the same question and it's about, you know, travels opening up and uh, TSA is being a little bit more difficult than usual there. And they're saying, B, you can travel, but you can only bring one cent with you. What is that go-to cent? I know it's really tough because it's like choosing it one child, but like, what is that go-to cent of yours? Uh, so my go-to cent is myth and it, it always has been. So uh, that was the first Oda problem I created. And, and it's the scent that I always wanted. So it's a white musk scent, but there's also florals and woods in it. It's just really, it's really well balanced. It's one of those scents that are subtle and just really, really beautifully crafted. Oh, and what was the inspiration behind it? Was it like a, a history or historical moment where you're like, this was what inspired it? So I don't know if it was history. It was just trying all these products. You know, it's almost like, I yeah. like to think of myth almost like as my first book. So there's a saying mm. in the writing world where they say, you've been waiting your whole life to write your first book, right? You, you hear it in music too. You're waiting your whole life to write your first album. Uh, and yeah. for me, you, I've been waiting my whole life. Myth was the scent that I always wanted and couldn't find. So uh, I, it was a very specific. I knew exactly what I wanted when I was talking with the perfumer, the master perfumer I worked with. And so, yeah, I would definitely take myth. It's the scent I can't get tired of. And can I just say one thing? On your website, you have the most beautiful written descriptions. Did you write them? I did. And you know, it's a, it's a wow. work in progress. I'm not going to lie. Writing and conveying scent is very difficult. It is difficult, especially because, you know, words can be very emotive, but fragrance is like another level, right? Because there's so yes. many emotions within a fragrance, within a note, whether it's memories, whether it's feeling, all this stuff, it's so sensorial. But you've done a really, really good job because when I read it, it's like, You've done a hard job though. It's bad for my bank because you're like, I want to try them all because you make them so yummy and irresistible to try. That's why I love the discovery set because I was like, I can try them all this way. Thank you. Um, yes, yeah. yes. You know, I think I'm no. getting I'm getting better. It's like, This is something where I'm like, okay, I worked on it. I've always liked words, but I, but obviously I didn't write like this, right? I was writing mm. like reporting style. And so uh, I think my more recent sense, the descriptions are better. So I need to go back and like just... Just like keep going, keep working, you know? Now, as you said, and you keep on rereading your, your, your journalism, your articles, same with this, because you're also evolving and also maybe the scent has evolved in your perception over time as you've mm -hmm. tried myths more and more. So that'll be quite interesting to see. Um, but yeah, so fire round questions, which is basically the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, so the first question is, what's another beauty brand that you're currently loving? Oh, Biologique Recherche. It's a skincare mm. line that's been around forever. And just, you know, it's so good. It's so good. I mean, that's, that's why sometimes the most efficacious are the ones that have been, you know, done for a long time. I, I, I know the brand very well. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, what's a guilty pleasure of yours? Chocolate. Actually, you know what? I said this last podcast. Uh, you have to choose another answer because everyone says sweet and chocolate. So I need to actually oh, say, what's the guilty pleasure of your everyone? And literally, uh, maybe like eighty percent of people, ninety percent say sugar or chocolate. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to oh, make it okay. harder. Okay, okay, I can. I, I'm up for the challenge. So I yeah. would say, I was saying scheduling a tennis lesson for myself. I Ooh. freaking love tennis. I played tennis com competitively in high school, and then I did it in, in college. And to this day. I love it. It's, it's, it doesn't even feel like a workout. It's just like something that I love to do. Well, okay. Now you said you're competitive. I'm, I'm nervous to say this, but when I come to America, if you're in New York or if I come to Connecticut, we'll, let's play, play tennis because I love tennis. I play like weekly. Um, and then when you come to London, I'll take you to Wimbledon if you come during Wimbledon. Yes. So that'd be really I fun. went to US Open two times this year. Did you, go? Did you see did. Emma win? Or did you go to the final or no? I saw, I did not. I saw Leila oh. Fernandez beat Osaka though. Oh, that's a good one. I mean, I love Osaka, so it's a bit sad, but yeah. Okay. That's amazing one to see. Yes. Um, that okay, was can, so we, fun. I love tennis. We can talk about, but we'll definitely play because um, it's a big, big um, passion of mine, tennis. Uh, what are you currently watching or reading? Mm, 
so my former editor for the, I used to contribute to Vanity Fair for one issue a year. So his his name is Max Chafkin. He's actually a features reporter at Bloomberg. And uh, he wrote a new book on Peter Thiel, the co-founder of PayPal. And mm. so I I started that book actually a couple of nights ago and he's just such a great writer. It's a nonfiction and I'm not sure what I selected it on my own, but it's been very interesting. I love that. What's your normal, just as a side question, what's your normal genre style of reading? Oh gosh, I'm such a geek. Uh, <laughs> I love sci-fi really? and I love fantasy series. I was oh, about yeah. to say, I, I didn't take you for that. I love that. That's super oh, cool. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Super geek over here. Uh, yeah. It's, mm. it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty deep that love. <laughs> oh, I love it. I, that's why I love asking. I love you can learn a lot about someone from what they read or what they watch. I, kn- I, um, know, I know. Having said that, I mean I love horror films, and I hope someone doesn't read that too much because <laughs> I don't know why I love oh horror God, films. Oh my God, they're so scary! I can't watch them. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I watched one last night. I can I can watch them on my own. That's a bit weird, but I, do, I just love them. <laughs> um, we're moving on quickly. Uh, what's your favorite social media platform right now? I spend the most time on it right now. I've been, uh, you know, aside from checking like work stuff, I, uh, I've been obsessing over Maine coon cats. They're these giant cats from Maine and I really want one. And, uh, you know, TikTok listens to you, I swear, because I'll talk about it. Uh, They're just going to show you these cats now. That's all they're going to show you until you get it. (laughs) Yes. And I'm okay with it. I'm okay. Exactly. You know, I freaking love these cats, apparently. I I never (laughs) had one of these cats. (laughs) It's the power of TikTok and the power of its algorithm. It's going to get you, but it's amazing. Um, And my last question is, if you weren't a beauty entrepreneur or a journalist, what would you be? You know, I've given this some thought lately. And, you know, my favorite parts of working for Ellis Brooklyn and also just thinking back, like, wow, I really enjoy this. I love formulating. And so if I went back and did it all over again, I'd be a chemistry major. Amazing. I mean... That's something you can actually even, I mean, it's hard because you're balancing so much, but eventually you could even try to get certified and create some of your own sense yourself. And I mean, it takes a lot of time though. It's not easy. We take our, you know, the chemists we work with, I'm sure that they're incredible, but it's, it is very fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah. It's something, it's so funny how sometimes when you're growing up, you're like, wait, why didn't I recognize that before? You know, cause yeah. I did get A's in chemistry. So why didn't I? It's just, it's strange how it all comes back around. You're like, why didn't I pay attention to that when I was, you know, 20 You know what the something? saddest thing is? I think in school, it's, you, you, you kind of, they don't really teach you all the variables of what a course can be. Like, you know, I never thought chemistry would be anything close to beauty industry. I never put that two and two together. Obviously now when I go to my labs and I talk about formulations, I'm like, oh my God, I, I think I know all those terms. I know all those elements because I used to remember the periodic table by heart and stuff, but it's crazy. How it's it is so, so true. See that. Yeah, it's so true. It gets really, um, yeah, it gets really siloed, right? All you're learning is these yeah. little, like, whatever codes and formulas. And, and the, the furthest like, you think is, is like university or college, and that's like further studying, but it doesn't tell you the transferable skills of like what could you be as a part from just a chemist or, you know, studying chemistry. So it's very true. It's very, it's actually a very good point. But yeah, hopefully, like I always believe in education always. So whether you have, mm. you know, you're always educating. Sometimes this could be in the form of doing a degree again. Sometimes it could be just going on TikTok as for educating yourself, you know, but it's amazing <laughs> how much we can learn. Um, but B, I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, so inspired by you, your, your journey, your story. And I would love just to know, like, where can everyone find and follow you and the brand? Sure. So in the U.S. we're available at Sephora and we're on TikTok and Instagram. TikTok, we're Ellis Brooklyn official. Only follow the checkmarked accounts, by the way. And uh, on Instagram, we're Ellis Brooklyn. And in the U.K., we just launched this past week at Harrods and Liberty. Ooh. And you guys are in Mecca, you're in Cult Beauty, you're in amazing places. So you have an amazing stockist. Um, yes, we're your, also um, at Mecca. They are one of my favorite partners. There's, they have such yeah. great t- taste level, and they're so wonderful. So, uh, so yeah, we're also at Mecca. We're just slowly expanding our international footprint, but I'm super excited about both Harrods and Liberty. So amazing! And you personally, can anyone follow you? 
Oh yes, I'm on. I'm on uh, a B Shapiro at uh, at Instagram, and then I'm also B Shapiro at TikTok. Don't laugh at my TikTok stuff, because I'm willing to try a lot of stuff out. <laughs> I said the same to me. My last one was a, some dinosaur skeleton thing, so I don't think it's got nothing to do with what I'm doing. Oh my god, but... I did a dinosaur one dance too, and I was like, really? oh my god, oh it's so good. I'll send it to you. It's hilarious. Send it to me. It, Sadly, got one of the most views on my account, and I was like, "Wow, no one cares about my beauty content." You know, it's no, just- <laughs> I love it. But um, um, anyway, everyone, I'll you know hyperlink all the the links. So if you just want to go in the summary, you can click straight away. And I really recommend you follow B and Ellis and. Please go try the brand. The best way is definitely start with the discovery set if you're still curious on, you know, that's what I did. And then once you found the one you love, get the get the big one. Um, but thank you, B, for being just being you. And I uh, can't wait to play tennis. See you in person, hopefully very soon. I am actually coming to America shortly in November, so hopefully we'll get to meet in person. Um, and yeah, we'll be in touch. Thank I would you. love that. Thank you so much for having me. hope you enjoyed this episode of founded beauty as much as i had making it and if you did please share it with a friend who you think will love it too founded beauty is available on all podcast platforms such as apple Podcasts, spotify amazon music podcast the acast app and many more and i'm also very proud to be part of the acast creator network so be sure to follow the podcast so you can get episodes as soon as they drop we really appreciate every single follow listen share and review it truly goes such a long way and helps us reach new listeners. So as a little thank you, I will be hosting a giveaway each week on my Instagram channel at meta underscore a, where you can win some amazing Fable Main goodies. All you have to do is follow me, check out my stories and all will be revealed. Stay tuned for the next episode of Founded Beauty and don't forget to subscribe and follow so you can be notified when it drops. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAS10 for 10% off. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.